And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Very excited to be joined today with Haas Devine and his company, Automotive Innovations. We're going to be talking about his background from going to the automotive industry to becoming a startup founder and the trials and tribulations of that. Before we get it started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io. Hiring software teams is difficult. Fullscale has the platform and the talent to make it quick and easy and affordable for your team. Please visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Os, welcome to the show, man. Oh, thanks, man. Now, hold on. What should I call you? You're you're the high-tech redneck. Is that what I heard? <laughs> That's what I'm known as, yeah. So I know everybody's uh, listening um, and not watching today, but you know he's got his cowboy hat on, and, and he is he's definitely the high-tech redneck. So excited to have you in the studio today. Oh, thanks, man. Good to be here. So tell us um, your background. Um, you, you worked in the automotive industry for a long time, right? And so tell us your, your background there and then kind of how that led you to start a, a, a tech company in automotive. Well, it was kind of, um, you know, I, uh, I guess, you know, maybe for the listeners to put perspective on, but the, um, you know, when I was 15 years old, I got expelled from high school for life. And then on the same day, my parents kicked me out of the house. Uh, so that's when my, uh, lesson in the school of hard knocks began. And, uh, so became an emancipated minor, got my own place. And then at 19, my roommate's birthday at my birthday party at my 19th birthday party, my roommate's friend came over, you know, wearing a nice suit, jewelry, pockets full of cash, driving a brand new car. And I said, Hey, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a car salesman. And I said, man, tell me about that. What can, what's that about? And he's like, Oh, you just talk to people. And I was like, really, I've been hustling my whole life. So, uh, to survive so I could do that. Uh, and then I, and then nobody would hire me. They said I wouldn't be good at the car business. Um, and, uh, then I finally got a job in my first month, sold 17 cars and uh, made a bunch of money and I've been hooked ever since. And so uh, just, you know, working in the car business, worked, sat through every seat, did F&I, general manager, general sales manager, sales manager. And, um, but I, I'm kind of weird. I, my, I'm not your normal thinking person. Like, uh, I learn as a teacher. And so I don't know why I've always done that, but I I've always tried to learn as a teacher because I enjoyed training and teaching people to do stuff. So, and it's, it's all about mastering your craft. And so that's what I spent the next 25 years doing is mastering my craft in automotive. And so in 2009, I started uh, my consulting company, which by the way was the second business or third business I started before that they were all training stuff. But, um, so anyways, I just spent, you know, years taking dealers to the next level. Cause as we talked previously, I don't work well for others. I uh, hear you. I'm not employable <laughs> either. I couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, I just, um, 
I've been fired more times than I can count. Uh, and I'm always, the reason I get fired is, uh, I'm a catalyst for change because just because that's the way we've always done it doesn't mean that's the way we need to do it. Amen, and, brother. Amen. <laughs> and so I, I'm like, well, why do we treat customers this way? Why don't we be transparent? Why don't we be upfront? You can actually make more money if you're transparent and upfront than, and dealers weren't ready for that at the time. And so I just went out on my own and, uh, then they paid me for my opinion. Right. Uh, and I still got fired from some of those gigs cause I, they thought I was too far out there, you know? Sure. Uh, but I think that's, what's allowed me to create a product that's not like anything anybody's ever seen before. Well, uh, so, so tell me more, more about that. How did you go from doing training and stuff to what led you to the idea of creating your own tech company? Well, it was, it's kind of by happenstance, I guess, because I, Years ago, I created a spreadsheet to run a dealership by. So when I ran a dealership and would go consult a dealership, I'd put this in and this spreadsheet was had like 50,000 formulas. It'd take me 140 hours to build one uh, for a new client. Right. And, but then when you share it on a shared drive, we all know one person can only edit it at a time. And then I tried Google Drive and that didn't work out well because even though it is Excel, it's still not the same as Excel. And so didn't have all the same functionalities in it. And so, uh, so in 2016, I was at a client store and they were, uh, the client asked me to come in and teach their son, you know, how to be a car dealer, uh, and, uh, how to run a store. And so I came in and, uh, you know, sat there and did that with them. And, uh, and then I just got the idea one day, cause I kept hearing people page, you know, uh, paging all these different people to, Hey, get out of that workbook. We need to put stuff in because we can only enter it one at a time. And I thought, well, why don't I make that a piece of software? So everybody can enter, right. you know, data at the same time. And sure. Uh, so I called my wife and I said, Hey honey, I want to start a tech company. And, uh, she said, okay, well, what's that mean? Uh, and I said, well, that means we need to sell everything and move into our fifth wheel, our camper, uh, and just put all of our money towards this and going all in, all in, man, burn the ships. Uh, and, uh, she said, okay, well, how long are we going to live in the camper? And I said, oh, it's just software. No more than a year. Uh, three and a half years later, we finally moved out of the camper. Uh, and it was, but I got it to beta on my own without any investment from anybody. Um, and, uh, you know, but it was, 12, 14 hours a day in the store, working, consulting, and then another five or six hours every night doing mock-ups and wireframes and sending them off to uh, developers and having them build it. And so, uh, and then my, uh, and then the dealers that I was working with, they started throwing money at me and said, hey, can I buy into this? And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not really wanting to do that. I want to do it on my own. And, but then I got, which was my being naive about a tech company and it's so front loaded with expense. Oh yeah. Uh, nobody understands that. Yeah. Uh, they think, Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, easy. it's the opposite of having a training business, right? If you have a training business, you're like, here, show up, do the work, get paid for it. And you're ready to go. Whereas technology, you know, as you learn, it's like, Hey, it may take a couple of years to even build this thing. Right. Yeah. Invest, it's totally different having a service business versus a technology business. Absolutely. So, so, so tell me this, the, a couple of the biggest challenges that founders like yourself have is you're not a technical person. You're not a software developer. 
you got the right, you got the business idea, you built all the, the, the formulas in Excel, which is awesome. And I've, I've actually heard that story several times. People's like, Hey, I had all these crazy spreadsheets, did all this cool stuff. And I just wanted to figure out how to make a application out of it. So what did you, what was the next step for you in regards to finding a developer to do that? Like, where did you start with, with like, Hey, I got to find a software developer. Well, I started interviewing guys, you know, on Upwork and, you know, different platforms like that mm-hmm. and talking to guys and, uh, and then I, I actually consulted a tech company years ago and I met one of the developers there. And, uh, so, and I got to know him while I was there. And so I called him and I said, Hey man, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Could you provide me some direction and what I'm looking for? And, you know, and I said, what would you charge me? You know, would you be interested in doing this on, you know, uh, just on the side, you know, something mm-hmm. as a side hustle, you know, and, sure. and he's like, um, I don't know, man. He said, I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll try it on with you and we'll try to build it together and see what, what happens. And, and that's kind of how it started. And, and so it was just me and him for the first couple of years. Now, was uh, he considered one of the co-founders or was he just an employee or? No, he just, uh, built what I sent him. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, now I gave him stock in the company for doing it. Okay. Uh, you, you paid, know. you paid him with sweat equity. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so, um, he, uh, uh, well, not only did I pay him with sweat equity, but I actually paid him too. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, that was the, you know, in the beginning I didn't, but I mean, I tried to, you know, if he needed some kind of software solution or needed some tools yeah, or yeah. whatever, I mean, I paid for whatever he needed. And and you, and you were able to pay him from your own savings or your job, you were still, yeah. your business, you were still running. So you didn't raise any capital at that point. Nope. Didn't raise okay. any capital, got it to a, a beta stage and you know, and then the day I put it in the store, the dealer was like, Hey, can I buy into this? Uh, and, uh, and then I, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And, and that's one thing I would tell anybody trying to do this. I mean, I, uh, I sold, you know, 50,000 shares, uh, or no, I sold 2% of the company for 50 grand to him, which is, you know, 25 cents a share. Uh, and, uh, not knowing what I didn't know today. Okay. You know, but I don't regret that. I mean, that, uh, that family is, uh, given us a whole lot of, a lot of money and, uh, and helped us along the way. And so that's, that's been a great thing, but, but I think people, a lot of times when you're starting to do this, I mean, I don't have an education, so my education is a school of hard knocks. So, uh, that's I try the best to, kind, man. It's the best kind. Well, I try to learn from others. Mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I, I love about listening to startup hustle is, you know, since I met you and you turned me on to it, I was like, you know, I've been listening. I was like, man, where was this years ago? Whenever I, whenever I needed this, uh, well, there's a thousand episodes. So you got a few years, a few years ago, if you want to catch up. So, so tell me this, you, you said it took about two years before you got that first version done and ready for the client, uh, your, your first customer you described. How long did you think it was going to take? A year. A year? Okay. And it actually took me uh, three and a half years to get it to where it could uh, be put in the store. So you uh, had two years to get to that first like beta customer, but you're saying it-, it Well, then... see, it was, yeah, it was about two, two and a half years for that first beta customer. But then a whole nother year to work out the kinks and figure out and well, finish we, it? Well, we actually, see, that's the challenge. Um my biggest frustration in this business has been technology. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, 
I mean, everything that I have, the UI has been built and everything's been built. And it's like, you know, Hey, this has all been built for years. Just nobody could get it to work. Right. Uh, because the, so you, you did a, uh, I saw a LinkedIn post that you did that I was like, man, I wish somebody would have told me that years ago. Um, because I fell into that trap of, uh, I hired people way before I needed them. You hired a salesperson before you had a product to sell. Well, actually, I hired a CTO. Okay. And uh, he was a CTO at another tech company that mm -hmm. I knew, and him and I got to have a relationship. And we, uh, and I hired him and then caught him in lies and caught him, you know, doing stuff. You know, this is the way I wanted to build it. And he's right. like, well, that's stupid. And I'm like, well, you, you, people aren't paying for your ideas, man. They're paying for mine. Uh, so you need to build what I tell you to build because you don't know my industry. Uh, your, your, you know, your job was to be the product manager, the product owner, right? And, and it was his job to build it, right? Like it's your job to tell him how to build it. Uh, I'm sorry. It's your job to tell him what to build. Correct. Sorry. And it's his job to figure out how to build it, right? And so th that's the relationship you've got to have in a good software company where you have somebody that's the product visionary. They understand what the business needs to do, what the product should do right? And how the product should work. But it's his job to engineer like how to actually build the product. And you, I mean, you, you bring up a good point that happens a lot. Sometimes you hire somebody and like, they just have their own de ideas. Like you're the product visionary. You're the one that should be leading the charge on what the product is supposed to do. Yeah. And I've went through four heads of technology, uh, since then. And so, but I'm, I've, I've kind of been one of those personal, although I'm not educated, um, I am smarter than the average bear, I guess. And so I read a lot and I'm very cautious about what I put in my brain. And the older I get, the more I'm like that. So I only hang out with other business owners and I, you know, I, the stuff that I read or that I listen to, it all has to have something that allows me to help further my education or my knowledge base. And, you know, it's, um, and the stuff that makes logical sense to me doesn't make I don't understand why developers do some of the stuff that they do. I mean, and I think most founders or CEOs of tech companies, they don't understand like, I mean, you'll, uh, so for instance, I go to add all this stuff and I do things a little differently and I'm told it's different, but developers don't tell me what to build. I tell them what to build. And what I mean by that is, I do all the mock-ups first and then right. I tell them to build around the mock-up. And that's what you should do. Uh, whereas they want you, they want to build the back end first and then worry about the front end later. And I, that's not my process. My process is let me mock it up and show you what I want done and how it's supposed to work. And then, then you build that. Uh, but when they do that, it's like, they don't pay attention to, you know, I've got these massive DTOs, right. That, they keep adding to and adding to and adding to and adding to when, when we're trying to do a query or something on a report or a dashboard or whatever, and we're, we, we need a, you know, 10 pieces of information to run this query, sure. but yet they're pulling in, you know, a megabyte of data to transfer back and forth Yeah, sure. when I only need a small, you know, yeah. 10 or 15 kilobytes of data. And so it's like, why did we architect this this way? Why are we building all these massive objects that we're, transferring back and forth is really expensive uh, and it's not efficient. Sure. Uh, and so that's why I spend a lot of my time reading so that nobody has to 
none of my guys have to dumb anything down for me. They can talk well, it, the way they normally talk and I can communicate with them in their language, uh, you know, and understand, you know, well, you, you sound like somebody who you've worked with a lot of different developers. You mentioned you've had three or four different kind of lead developers or CTOs or whatever over time, but it sounds like you've never had somebody that saw eye to eye with you that you could trust. Yeah, I got trust issues, man. Uh, and I think go through four guys and they all build it. You know, I almost, you know, I guess the thing that I would, you know, it's trust, but verify, right? Sure. Absolutely. And, but it's challenging for a founder that doesn't know anything about tech to verify. But the, but, but the issue with being a startup founder or business owner and this isn't just about software development is you're going to have people you can trust. Right? right. And it doesn't matter if it's somebody that runs sales, they run support, they run finances, whatever it is, you've got to have people you could trust. And, you know, from my Vin solutions days, I'll never forget the day we hired a CFO. I don't know why, but that was such a big relief for me because it's like, now I could sleep at night, not worrying about being, if we, if we can make payroll or not, it's like, I finally had somebody I could trust that could deal with that thing. Right. And I, I think the lesson here is, in all phases of your business, but especially in a technology company, you've got to have a technical co-founder or, or leader that you've hired that you can trust, right? Like that, that's a big component to this Well, because I, you need them to do their job so you can focus on doing your job too. Right. And I mean, I, I, it's kind of funny. I, the, my last CTO that I just let go recently, I really liked the guy, right? Like I really do. And I trusted him. Uh, but then my spidey sense Right. Kind of said something's not right here. And so I kept asking questions, asking questions, asking questions. And one thing I found with uh, developers in general and technology is people like to work in silos and I'm not a silo guy. Right. I'm, you know, Hey, let's, let's communicate. Let's talk. Tell me what you're doing. And what I found was that he's building stuff that uh, was um, uh, it's so complicated that only he could understand it. Right. And the architecture, and to me, good software development is it's as simplistic as possible so that anybody can jump in and work on it and comment out your code and do the right things in the code so that people know what's going on. Whereas this was so complex that even all the senior developers were yeah, trying, sure. had a hard time trying to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I do want to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the full-scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what developers are available to join your team today. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So you've had a lot of challenges with, with getting the product done, and, and we, haven't, we haven't talked much in the episode so far about what the product does, so we should probably do that. So, <laughs> what, so tell me, before you started the company, you had the spreadsheet and that was the product. What did the product do then? Like, what was your original goal when you started? Like, what was what was the job to be done? What what was the main like problem you were trying to solve? Well, the main problem I was trying to solve is analytics, uh, because most companies, whether it be a car dealership or whatever, you know, I focus on car dealerships, but it's so fragmented. You got to log into ten different systems to get all this data, and you got to you know, and then you know trying to then parse the data and then dealers, especially young dealers coming up in the business and this new generation of operators coming up. I mean, a lot of them can't read financial statements. They can't read, they can't, they're not the car guy that I grew up. Okay. In. Uh, and so my spreadsheet basically had one huge data field that you, you know, one big deep, you know, repository, you could say 
of data that you would put everything in and then it would spit out reports and all the other different tabs. Right. Okay. Uh, and, um, and then it would tell them where the profit leaks were in their business. Okay. Uh, and so you would analyze all the, all the cars that they had sold. So basically like all the deals that had been done, right. And where they made money, where, you know, what their, their profit margins were and different, different pieces of that and how they could improve them. Yeah. Well, basically. we, we tracked, so that every dealership for instance has a sales log and that they keep mm-hmm. a spreadsheet of how many cars they sell. Right. And there's typically 10 data points on that log. Right. Right. Maybe 15 if you're lucky. Uh, well, my spreadsheet had 118 data points per car deal. Okay. Uh, but it was all manual entry. Okay. Uh, and so I built it as a manual entry system to begin with, and everybody entered it manually still. Um, but um, but then that, you know, went into, okay, well, now we're going to integrate with all the DMSs so people don't have to, inter- you know, do this anymore. And so that was the, so the very first product that I built was an analytics tool, which okay. isn't even what I'm selling today. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you is, and yeah, how did that change over time? And you, so by the way, for those who are listening, he said the word DMS, which is basically stands for dealer management system, but think about it as like the accounting system that the dealers use basically. But so, Oh, sorry, man. I'm using No, no. Lingo, yeah, you're fine. You're fine. I got you. Lingo, the, um, so you started out doing analytics, you had the spreadsheet trying to automate some of that. And then, so tell, tell me then like two years later, you're saying, Hey, we went to the first client and we had something to show them. What was that? Like what, what were you two it was years all later? Analytics. It was still analytics. It was still two analytics. years later. And then, and, and also pay plans. So, okay. So my goal in how to, how to pay the salespeople at the dealership. Yeah. And so my goal in all of this was the average dealership uses over two dozen spreadsheets to run their business. Okay. And my job is to eliminate all spreadsheets and automate everything. Okay. Uh, and so instead of logging into five or six or 10 systems to aggregate all your data, we have a select few integrations to aggregate all that data. So today we take 748 data points of every car deal and that's what's all by okay. automation and feed. And so, okay. so with that, then we can provide analytics that nobody's ever seen before. And so that is still a core part of the product. That is still a core part but, of the product. But you have several other products. So we do, we have a, a recon tool. So I, I went and said, Hey, what do I, uh, when I go into a dealership, you know, I, like I've been into stores that, you know, the last store that I actually was at, I mean, that store lost 125,000 a month for two years straight. Ouch. And, you know, when they hired me, they're like, Hey man, just so you know, the store has been losing, you know, six figures a month, you know, for years. Right. Uh, and in 60 days I had it in the black. Uh, it's not that hard. It's culture, it's process. It's, you know, knowing what levers to pull to make something make money. Um, and that's just the way my brain works. I, I have a sickness, I call it that I can't go into, I'm incapable of walking into a business and not analyzing it. I don't care if it's a restaurant, if it's church, if it's whatever, how can this be more efficient? And you you see all the things that other people don't see. Correct. And I have, I have this, I have the same problem. I'm going to call it a sickness (laughs) (laughs) because like, it's hard, right? Like you go, you walk in and like, I can immediately tell, you know, like all the problems, like it's it's almost like a sickness, right? Like you walk in and you're like, you see all the problems, but it's like, you hate to focus on the negative all the time. Right. But it's like, you just see the things and other people don't see them. Well, I see, I mean, I, I don't really like this term, but my team calls me this and other people call me this, the visionary, right? Sure. Uh, and uh, by the way, great book you recommended, uh, Rocket Fuel. Um, that's, uh, uh, that actually made me be a little more okay with the term visionary. Yeah. Uh, 
But um, so for the, for those of you who don't know, I don't remember who the author of the book was, but Rocket Fuel, Gino Hickman. Yeah, and so it talks about the the role of the visionary and the role of the integrator. So usually that's like the CEO and the chief operating officer or what have you. And, and that, that book was important to me and, and one of my previous companies. I'm I'm glad you got value out of it because I say this all the time. And I recommended it to somebody else this week too. This guy had like a million ideas. He's running like all over the place. He can't even describe what his business does. And there's no way this guy could operate a business. Like he was just <laughs> all over the board. And I'm like, dude, you need to read this book and you need to find an operations person that can help you actually achieve these wild dreams that you have. And uh, a lot of people have the same problem. Like they're visionary, they're, they're, their head's running around, but they struggle like the day-to-day -day tactics of stuff, right? Like I get it. I'm one of those people too. Well, and I did the day to day for years and then I hired my COO and, uh, he, uh, and I've known him for years and he's the best operator I've ever met. And so then he gets, he gets there and the first, you know, after the first week, he said, man, how did you do all this by yourself? I mean, like you're heading up software and you're doing all these mock-ups and then you're doing accounting and you're doing payroll, you're doing all this stuff. You know, how, how do you do all that at once? I said, well, I sleep very little. Uh, Red and Bull. I had no other options, uh, coffee, coffee. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it's, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's that, you know, when you, when you have that vision about things, I don't look at it as seeing the negatives. I look at it as seeing the potential in a business, how to improve things. Yeah. And, and that's and, what I mean too. It's not so much about the negative and like just pointing out all the neg negativity, but it's seeing like opportunity for improvement. It's like, we could do this better. Well, you know, one of the things you asked me about a topic, and, and I know some of these topics may be, uh, uh, you know, spur some debate, but I mean, there's a couple topics that, that I've heard you mention, and, uh, and then also one that's been kind of, I think it's funny in the tech world, but this whole full stack developer thing, right? Okay. Like, to me, that's all BS, right? Uh, and you're either a front-end guy or you're a back-end guy, and... And I, I liken it to a surgeon, right? Like if you have a surgeon who's uh do you want a general surgeon doing your open heart surgery or right. do you want somebody who that they're an open heart surgeon, right? right? Sure. Uh, and that's what I liken full stack to is, I mean, I've got a front end guy that nobody in the company can do what he does. Right. Uh, because, and when the, when the back end guys do front end work, it looks like shit. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm the back end guy. So I relate. And, uh, <laughs> But I hear guys come in and they I interview them and they're like, oh, I'm a full stack. And I start laughing and I say, okay, what, what's your specialty? Oh, no, everything. No, it's not everything. Uh, are you a front-end guy or are you a back-end guy? Uh, my front-end guy, his wife, he was working remote before I hired him. And, uh, and she wanted him out of the house because all he could talk about was JavaScript. You know, and yeah, I would he's too. So, I couldn't so, deal with that. He's so passionate about <laughs> JS, right? That he he can't talk about anything else, and so, but that makes him great for us, right? Because, um, but no, but back to your question. So we have, you know, we're going to market right now with a a, a recon tool, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, an F and I tool, uh, F and I menu system. You know, okay. that, uh, whenever you buy a car, you go into the business office and do right. all your paperwork and. So we do all of that, but we've built a recon tool. We've built a service analytics tool. We've built uh, an LMS. Um, you know, we've built a scheduling system. Uh, you know, I mean, and uh, so, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that we've built all these pieces, but then we went and pitched a hundred stores uh, 
And we pitched a hundred dealerships and nobody said no, but nobody said yes either. Right. Because it was too overwhelming. It's too many things. Like we're trying to take six, replace six products, right. with one product. And I was trying to save people money and, you know, my intentions were good, but people just, it's too innovative. I guess people can't wrap their head around that. It's too much. To it's, a process. it's a different kind of sale, right? So right. my first company, Vin Solutions was similar. We, we did inventory management to help them with online advertising. We did websites. We had a product to help them with their internet leads. We had a product to help them with their CRM and all of that part of it. We had a similar kind of F and I thing. And yeah, it's really difficult to go into any kind of business, forget a car dealer, even any kind of business, be like I have something that touches like every department in your company and I need every stakeholder in your company to agree to do this thing, right? It's a much different, difficult kind of sell. It's more like selling like an ERP system or a really complicated CRM system, or like back office systems in, in large companies. And, th and that's what you figured out kind of the hard way you would almost agree. Well, yeah, right? because like, I, I spent four and a half million dollars uh, building this yeah. system, this monstrosity of a right. system that, that, by the way, we have, you know, 40 patents pending on, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, which I heard your deal the other day about patents too. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of patents myself, but. Uh, well, I mean, I, uh, I've read enough of them and, uh, and I've, we've written enough of them. My attorney is a, is a patent attorney and, uh, there, there's a lot of benefits to them. You know, when you look at the top 20 patent holders, most of them are software companies, uh, sure. in the United States. And so, um, but you have to be strategic about how you write them and so on and so forth. But the, uh, but you know, we, we're just very innovative in how we try to handle problems and, uh, that nobody's thought of before, uh, and, uh, and nobody's figured out. So, um, but the ironic thing is, is the stuff we're going to market with, you know, there might be, you know, of those things, there might be eight patents that we have on the product we're going to market with and all the rest of them were on other stuff that we're not even going to market with. that's already done. Uh, well, so, so let's talk about that some more. You talked about, you built these five, six different products and it's hard to sell all of them at one time. So now are you kind of pivoting of saying, look, I'm going to focus on one of them? Yeah. So we pivoted and we, um, you know, we have smart choices, what it's called, which is our F and I menu system and then ops vision, which is our reporting arm to that. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and then smart desk, which is our piece of hardware that we right. offer. But, um, so those are the only products that we're going to market with. In fact, I took all the other products off of our website. Oh wow! I, I mean, I, I hit everything and said, this is all we're focusing on. Uh, and let's just get laser focused on this and let's be the best at this that we can. And, you know, I, uh, and I, I don't know, you and I haven't talked about this. I call this founder's disease. Okay. Yes. That's, that's my term, which is when I look at our product, I don't see what it does. I see what it doesn't do. Yes. Uh, yes. And so actually I read something the other day on LinkedIn It talked about like, first time founders versus second time founders. And, and it, it can like first time founders usually have this problem with like, they're trying to build all these things. They're trying to solve all these problems. Right. And most founders in the first time around learn this problem that you're learning. Right. And I learned this problem. I learned this problem too. And then the second time around, when you start another company, you learn, you're like, you know what? I need to do one thing. I need to be really, really good at that one thing. And I need to say no to every other thing there is. Right. Because we all struggle with this, what you describe. And it's even worse for me because I'm a software developer. So it's easier for me to lock myself in the basement some, at, at somewhere and just code, just write code, just build, 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 right. build, 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 build. And the tragic mistake a lot of 
technical founders make is then they never sell anything either. They don't even go try and sell it. They just keep build, 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 build. They don't know how to sell shit. So at least you know how to sell stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it is a very common problem that um, startup founders, you know, startup companies keep building, 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 building. And as you found, it becomes harder to sell. You're trying to sell to different personas. The, the sales process is more complicated. The pricing is more complicated. How you price and package the product is its own problem. And well, my goal was to the whole package for one price, and that was it. No upsells, right? And that comes from me running a dealership for years and being five ninety five to nine ninety five to death, right? And it's and I imagine most businesses are that way too. There's always an upsell opportunity. And you know, kind of the ironic thing is, I said, well, you talk to a hundred dealers, nobody wants to uh, have one price and one one platform, one product, right. one price. So I'll make more money by splitting it all apart and upselling everything. Sure. Uh, you know, and it's like, okay, these guys don't want to save money. Uh, so I'll just, you know, they're telling me based on their reactions right. that they want to continue to do things the way they've always done it. Now, I still have the vision for what I started, but I need to be an established company uh, in order to implement that vision. Uh, and so, but I have to do whatever it takes to get to market uh, to start getting revenue coming in. Uh, and you know, one thing that I think a lot of founders, especially like myself, who I have a lot of connections, I'm really known all over the country and, you know, people don't forget Haas, you know, uh, and, uh, nobody forgets the high tech redneck. <laughs> right. So, but the one thing that for me was a big mistake is I had a lot of connections. So I thought, man, I can sign up all these stores once I have a product. Right. Right. No, not the case because once you cross the threshold of being a car guy to a vendor. Now they look at you differently. It doesn't matter your relationship. Uh, and now it, it's not as easy to sell. Uh, you get the meeting, right? But then they're more like, well, man, I've known you for a long time. What do you really know about tech? And what do you really know about this? And what do you really know about that? And it's like, but you get into weeds with them. They can't, you know, they don't want to get in the weeds about right. stuff. And so, and then a company that I did a lot of my consulting with, a finance company, they're one of the only finance companies that has their own software. And so that's where 80% of my relationships was dealers who use that company. And that company kind of uh, blackballed me and said, hey, we don't allow anybody else's software in our stores. Right, sure. And so then that kind of you know, hit me that something that I wasn't used to was that, well, I have all these relationships, but nobody will sign because they, they have somebody from the outside telling them, Hey, don't, mm -hmm. don't use their stuff. Use our stuff. Uh, so let me, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm thinking about this. We're talking about having multiple products to sell <coughs> and the challenge of having multiple products to sell. So you had these six products. Were you selling all of them to the finance manager, the dealer, or they were different personas? Different. Well, we, we started with the, uh, <clears throat> so our system is all about accountability. So it gives you visibility like you don't have today. And so we didn't want to pitch to the other personas in the store because a lot of guys don't want to be held accountable. Um, <clears throat> and so, but the dealer sees all the, everything that we did and was like, and you know, our system's 96% automated. Like they don't have to do anything different. Okay. Uh, and that was the thing that when I built this, that I wanted to do was car, every car dealer does. I mean, I've been in hundreds of dealerships consulting over the years and they, everybody does it different. 
uh, doesn't matter the store, doesn't matter if it's in the same group, you can get a dealer group of 20 dealerships in that group and they all 20 of them do something different. You know that, right. I mean, sure. uh, so there's no standard, uh, in how dealerships work and operate. And so I tried to build a flexible system that right. any process could be done, but be automated. Uh, and we'd start with the dealer, but then, like you said, because we touch every department, well, now, Hey, now I want my controller to look at it. I want my finance director right. to look at it. I want my fixed ops director to look at it. I want my parts manager to well, look so, at it. I mean, so what I'm, what I'm thinking here, and I, I think the lesson for, for those that are listening is I think it's okay if you have multiple products to sell, as long as you're selling them to the same person, right? Like if you had five or six different products to sell that you can upsell or mix and match, you know, different pricing packaging to, and you have the same buyer, then you're probably okay. It's when you start building something that you have to go to different stakeholders within an organization, it becomes really hard. And um, I saw that at my last company, Stackify. We had stuff that was designed for software developers, but then some of it would encroach into the IT operations side. It's okay, now I got to get both of them to agree. Or if I only sold to one or the other, it would have been easier. And I think that's the key lesson here is it's okay to have multiple products or things to upsell, but you really want to stick to trying to sell to a single buyer Otherwise, it just gets way more complicated. Well, that's the mistake I made. I mean, I, I would say I don't consider it wasted money because we've got a lot of stuff already baked and built, right? Sure. But I could have been making money years ago. You, well, here, here's the number one. Here's the lesson, though. What you could have did is built the core product probably twice as fast. Correct. That's you, what I'm you saying. You could have, and maybe you would have, I think you said earlier, you, you raised $4.5 million. Maybe you could have did it for $2 million in half as much time and be a lot further along. Oh, and I could have. Right. Uh, and that's the, um, the challenge is, you know, it's, it's lessons learned, man. I mean, this is, uh, you know, there's no blueprint for doing no. this. Uh, and, and I'm not one who, I, I mean, I, I've done enough forecasting and enough stuff and business plans and stuff over my career that, you know, I put it all together and I have a plan and, and I go and I execute that plan. And then I don't worry about the roadblocks that happen during that plan. I just address them as they come. And I think that's the difference between an entrepreneur and, you know, a visionary and an integrator, right? An integrator is going to look at all the things that could happen and they never get started uh, because they're looking at all the things that could go wrong. Right. Whereas an entrepreneur, to reference that that book, I don't know exactly how they say it. I'm paraphrasing it, but they they talk about that that visionaries live in a distorted reality. Uh, and, and I live in a distorted reality. <laughs> I can tell you that I find the positive in absolutely everything. Right. Uh, and how to spin it in a positive way. And so, so I, I have another topic I wanted to ask you about. I thought it was really insightful and interesting. So you sell to car dealers and how, what was your thought process going into this of, okay, look, probably car dealers could invest in my company but if they invest in my company, are other car dealers going to somehow want to know that or I have to tell them that? And then they're not going to want to use the product because this dealership like is an owner of it or something like that. Is that what, where, where was your mentality on that? Is that something you did? Is that a, a problem that you've had? You know, that was that was a strategic uh, thing that I did. And, and so one of the challenges with being a founder and having to raise money is is you don't want to give up control of your company. Sure. Right. Uh, there's only so much stock. Right. And, uh, and so I thought who better to invest than the people who know intimately the problems. hundred percent. Uh, 
And that's why I went to car dealers. They gave me higher valuations. Uh, a VC looks at my last evaluation and flips out. And it's like, hey, man, that's, that's not me giving that evaluation. That's these guys. Your customers. You know, uh, that's our customers giving yeah. that evaluation. So, um, so that's – and by the way, people ask – I've had guys ask, well – and I tell people, you know, hey, our investors are dealers. And they say, who are they? And I said, they don't want to be known. Uh, I tell nobody who our investors are. Well, that's why I'm curious. That's why I'm curious about this topic. You know, is does that create problems or is it a benefit? I think it's a benefit. Um, I, I haven't had anybody. We we haven't had anybody to date get upset about that. You don't think or, you've lost any customers, lost any deals? Over no, it? I mean they. Uh, in fact, if anything, they think it's cool that mm-hmm. other dealers and they say, "Well, are you in your dealer stores?" And I said, "No, some of them I'm not. I mean, one of my investors owns, you know." over two dozen stores and I'm not in any of them. Wow. Uh, and I asked him, you know, Hey, can I put this in your store? And he's like, Nope. And I'm like, why you have all my competitors? And he goes, I know, but I'm not a, uh, <clears throat> what do you say? I'm not a, uh, I'm not a Guinea pig. And he said, once you get it baked, once you get it in a few hundred stores, you got all your problems worked out, sure. then we'll put it in my store. He's got 20 something stores. He doesn't want to be the, the beta, the beta customer. He doesn't <laughs> Correct. want to deal with it. Yeah. So I, and I, and I can understand that just like a large, lot of other bigger companies, enterprises, they don't want to deal with that stuff either. Right. They're right. They, they'd rather buy IBM and pay more than pay, buy something from a little startup. Right. They just don't want to, they don't want to deal with the problems. They well, I thought you, you mentioned an interesting stat in a podcast I listened to in the last week about the percentage of uh, early adopters. Right. You know, and how it's like two or 3%. Not a lot of people that are early and, adopters. And so we start out with that. Right. You yes. know, we tell dealers on hey, the listen, bleeding edge. If you're if you're all about being on the cutting edge and all about, you know, doing that and being involved in the next greatest thing, then we're your company. Right. If you don't want to be involved in the cutting edge and you don't want to have, you know, bugs or little issues and stuff pop up, you know, and help us make the product great, then this probably isn't for you right now. Uh and but I'm honest to a fault. So I mean that's that's just the way I, I roll when I talk to people. So Well, and that's the right way to be. Absolutely. That's the right way to be. Well, if you do have bugs in your software and you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, full scale can help. We have the platform and the people to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and then let our platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers at full scale. We specialize in building a long-term team that works only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. Well, so as we start, let me, to, ask, let me just say ahead, something yeah. about full scale. Okay. Right? Uh, I know you didn't prompt this, but I, I keep, you know, uh, listening to this, you know, while I'm not a customer, I do plan on being a customer, but, uh, the, uh, once we get this, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a cap raise right now, but the, uh, but I will say your website is badass, man. Okay, uh, cool. I mean, going on there and just filling out everything and then, Hey, what, you know, what languages do you use and what's your stack? And, you know, and it's like, and then, you know, you get to see pictures of the developers yeah, yeah. And, and all of that. I mean, that's that's really cool, man. So props and kudos to you. I thought your website was great. I mean, good follow-up from your team, by the way. Well, I appreciate mean, I, that. Glad the team's I've doing a good job. i a lot of emails following yeah. up. And, uh, so, yeah, we I had just, to build our own internal database to do all that. Like, that's oh, really? Our own, yeah, our own employees work on. They built all that. It's our own Yeah, thing. it was really cool, though. Yeah. So I just wanted to give you props on that. So. Yeah, well, thank you. Appreciate that. So as we round out the episode today, do you have any other 
you know, kind of final thoughts, words, words of wisdom for, for guys out there that are in your, in your uh, position, they're trying to figure out like, how do I do this? Or I already started doing this and I've got, you know, I've got problems, you know, what, what do I do? You know, you got any words of wisdom for those guys? Well, I think sometimes as founders, I know I fall into this as I'm so uh, in love with my vision. Sure. That it kind of blinds me from certain things uh, of reality. Uh, and so, you know, I'm writing a book right now. And one of the chapters is the lens in which we see things through. And everybody has a lens in which they view their life, their business and everything through. And, you know, I, I study psychology. I love psychology. And I, you know, study a lot of that. And I have a personal executive coach, which, by the way, I'd recommend to anybody to get an executive coach. Uh, and uh, but trying to. uh you know, get out of your own head and, and back up and take a step outside and look at it from a different perspective and a different lens. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't mean you're not being true to yourself. That just means you're being open-minded that maybe what your vision is can be accomplished in a couple different, a couple different ways. Uh, and so I, I think that that's probably the hard thing for, you know, a lot of founders to do. Well, everybody needs a mentor, advisor, coach, you know, people that they can learn from. You know, I, I had a call with a guy yesterday and he reached out to me on LinkedIn and he said, hey, you know, Matt, you've you've done this a couple more times than I have. I'd love to just pick your brain for an hour. And uh, if any of you listening out there want to do that, you can find me on LinkedIn and shoot me a message. And um, yeah, I had a great conversation with him for an hour yesterday. And, and uh, you know, people just need they need to bounce their ideas off other people. Somebody, you know, sometimes really what they need is somebody sometimes to tell them the truth, not what they want to hear. And and that's a big problem that people have is they, they meet with friends and family or whatever. And they're all just cheerleaders of like, yeah, man, keep doing the thing, whatever. Good job. But then they need to run into somebody who's like, no, I've done this shit before and you've got problems and here's what, here's how you got to fix them. Right? Like we all need that person to help us. Well, I think it's the culture in which you build within a company. So my team, uh, I really try to build a culture to where conflict is frequent. And I know that might sound strange to people, but mm -hmm. I think innovation comes from conflict. Okay. Uh, and it's different ideas. And I'm not talking about screaming and yelling, although that does happen from time to time. I'm talking about people not being afraid to tell you what they think. Uh, you it's know. like having an open door policy, right? It's exactly. like, if we've got a problem, let's talk about it. Let's figure out the right way to do that. And I've always been that kind of guy. I'm like, Hey, but if two people in the same room always agree on everything, one of them's not necessary. Right. Exactly. Uh, so you, you need different perspectives, even though sometimes it's hard. As and you just can't take hear. it personal. Right. And I think we do take it personal sometimes. Yes. Uh, I've been in meetings where my guys recommended stuff, uh, you know, and I'm like, no. And I kind of flip out and say, we're not doing it that way. You guys are completely distorting what the vision is. And then three months later, I'm like, you know, I think you guys were right. Felt uh, like they kicked your puppy. Right. I mean, and so it's, it's trying to get that different perspective. Yeah. So, well, and that's, you know, they always talk about diversity and the, the value of diversity and, and, and it's the different backgrounds and stuff. And especially with your tech team, right. They've built other technology before other products for, they've seen what works, what doesn't work. And, and that's where that diversity and bringing it all together helps yeah. to build a good product. So, well, thank you so much for um, being on the show to get today. Again, this is Haas Divine. And what is your guys' website address? Uh, automotiveinnovations.com. 
All right. Well, if there's any car dealers out there listening, check them out. And uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn and Instagram and TikTok and all these places. Just look for Matt Watson KC. And um, make sure you join us on Facebook. There's the Startup Hustle podcast group, which is also really good. And um, thank you guys for listening until the next episode. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.